tuning in to our final podcast for <laughs> just for the season don't worry we will be back um but yes thanks so much for staying tuned with us for these six episodes yes we have um, more than enjoyed it and mm. yeah looking forward to planning season two yeah um, so this week, sadly, Leslie hasn't been able to join us. Oh, man. She has been unwell and currently does not have a voice. So she wouldn't have Can been... Can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> she would have been off the chat. <laughs> um, but yeah, get well soon, Les, and you... Yeah. Uh, you won't have to put your you can turn your volume to normal level you won't have to turn it yeah. down anymore <laughs> fear not <laughs> but we have got um, James with us so James Ooh. is uh, our special guest and he is in from Nottingham we have managed to put together some form of concoction that has uh, yeah, allowed <laughs> us to um, record him over the phone so it is technology. Really... <laughs> it did take us a while to figure it out. <laughs> it um, James is joining us. Um... Hello. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> he is a Church of England clergy. Clergy. Did I say What Spot the non-Anglican. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was a way to say if like you're like me and. Don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, we'll explain that later. It is clergy. Clergy. All right. Note yes. to miss. <laughs> Note to self. All right. Well, how is everyone doing, James? How has your week been? Yeah, good. Yeah, I've been uh, doing all sorts of various things, churchy things, and other bits and bobs. But yeah, it's great to be on the podcast. Yes. Come on, James. So happy to have you here. I'm doing all right as well, although. A house did get egged on Halloween, Aww. which was like a bit of a low point of the week. So it's hard to wash off. Did you go straight away and wash yeah, it off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we got back from like church and it was it'd been egged, so we just got the SIF wipes out. See you later, eggs. See you later, yoki <laughs> produce. <laughs> and um yeah, it's a bit different this week, isn't it? Kind of doing it with James on the phone. We've only got one person to make eye contact I with. Know. And she keeps awkwardly looking Finding away. Awkward. <laughs> 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 but no, good. How are you, Vanessa? Yeah, well, I have uh, some off to California tomorrow. Ooh. But uh, I have just finished booking everything last night, you know, not at all <laughs> last minute. Um, so yeah, getting looking forward to that. Really excited. So bit of winter sun. I know. Help. Yeah, we've got a camper van, so there's quite a lot of logistics that had to be organised. Yeah, guys, yeah, try just... to feel not too sorry for her. God, it's hard <laughs> life. Someone's got to live it. <laughs> so yeah, we um, are just going to talk more about stepping into full-time ministry as a millennial and kind of going into that stage of life and there's been a shift probably recently that um, millennials are choosing to kind of go into studying Bible college or through Church of England or through other churches um, and it's not something that is necessarily done later on in life but there's been um, a growth in seeing millennials kind of the um 25 maybe even slightly younger james can inform us a bit more um but that is why we brought james on um to we just wanted to interview yeah, him man. 
chat about his experience and um, if any of you guys listening are interested or have thought about this hopefully this will be helpful towards um, your decision or just insightful to find out more I guess yeah thanks for having me guys why mate pleasure james was my um, housemate for a year when i lived in east london he's also one of my two best men last year so i already yeah. know him pretty well but um james why don't you just like tell us a little bit about yourself to begin with who are you where do you live what do you do you know that kind of stuff yeah great so uh as luke said my name's james uh i grew up in london um, and went to university at the University of Kent in Canterbury. And then after that, I went and spent three years at Ridley Hall, which is in Cambridge, which is one of the Church of England's residential theological colleges, mm -hmm. which basically is Church of England jargon for Vicar Factory. <laughs> um, so I was there for three years. And then in July, I moved to Nottingham. And now I live in a place called Aspley, which is in the north of Nottingham. And I'm part of the clergy team at a church there where we're, um, we've grafted in a new evening service and are looking to reach all sorts of people across our neighbourhood with the love of Jesus. Nice one. And so how did you like start thinking about it or, you know, like mm. what would you say was the moment for you where you thought, I want to work for the Church of England, or did you even think that, or, you know, kind of talk to us through that kind of little process? Yes, yeah, so it was, it was when I was about 17, uh, I was at Soul Survivor Festival, which I guess lots of people will have heard of, mm -hmm. and I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about something completely different, and then all of a sudden he sort of stopped and said, have you ever thought about ordained ministry? Uh, and I said, absolutely not. I hadn't even considered it. My mum is a vicar, so I kind of wanted to avoid that at all costs, <laughs> really. <laughs> but then it was actually the year I spent with Luke living in East London, um, where I was really testing it for myself and exploring what it meant to work for the church and yeah. kind of be responsible for things in ministry. And, and over that year, I got a real sense that God was calling me to do that and to explore it and and go further through the process awesome so you get put forward for ordination and as you said earlier when you were kind of telling us a bit about yourself you went to cambridge where you um, yeah. studied like residentially right you lived there um yeah that's right as like someone kind of you know in in your 20s were you 22 when you first started Is yeah that right? I, I... yeah i was 22 when i moved yeah. to cambridge so what was what was it like living and kind of like working all in one place like were there other people there like our age were yeah. was everyone else it, there over 50. no there was i guess there was a little pocket of us who were kind of 20s mid to late 20s i suppose um i was definitely one of the youngest um but there was enough of us that it kind of felt like although the majority of people were kind of mid 30s early 40s uh, there was enough of a pocket of people in their 20s who um, kind of understood what it was like. Um, it's only in recent years that the, the Church of England has been more open to encouraging people in their 20s to go forward for training. Yeah. Uh, so it meant that there's some, uh, yeah, I guess a backlog of 20s mm -hmm. people coming through the process. Um, yeah, so it was, it definitely at times felt like I was, back at school or yeah. 
kind of hanging out with my parents friends um <laughs> but at the same time it was amazing to have people who are more experienced in worldly terms yeah uh, to have to sort of bounce ideas off and and have conversations with and and learn from really mm. and did you ever feel i guess too young because so many other people there were maybe older than you i mean we're going to get a bit personal a bit honest here did, was that ever kind of anything that crept in like did you ever think oh maybe i'm too young too inexperienced was that like ever a thought process you had yeah i'd say it did uh, certainly to, at the start of it when i turned up and realized i was one of the youngest members of the college i thought oh my goodness me what on earth am i going to have to bring to the table when all these people <laughs> know their bibles so well but also have spent 40 years well not 40 that might be a bit generous <laughs> 20 or 30 years in the world of work yeah and kind of seem to have it all together far more than i did when i was still recovering from being a student and yeah it was a very bizarre shift um and one that took me a little while to adjust to to kind of seeing people around me who were considerably older as kind of equals and, yeah. and that I was just as called as they were even though I felt a lot more uh, inadequate I suppose yeah and you went straight to Ridley from um, Kent University yeah do you wanna, and obviously you spent like three years at both and both of them you came out with a degree and you came out you know as someone who had graduated from a course do you want to kind of tell us how maybe the, those two varied <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it was enormous um i had lots of my when i was finishing my undergraduate degree at kent lots of my non-christian friends who knew what i was going to do were really jealous of me because i was going to spend another three years being a student and i think they <laughs> i think they thought that that meant <clears throat> another three years of partying and late nights and whatever else and <laughs> it was uh yeah very different um i think being at ridley there was much more of a sense of purpose to what i was doing so i knew that all the essays and the reading and the seminar preparations i had to do were a part of sort of building my knowledge and growing me to be formed into the person that god was calling me to be as a as a minister and as a person who leads the church mm. um, so yeah it was very different although there was still the same requirements in terms of academic work they felt like they were had far more of a purpose and a and i actually enjoyed the theological study far more than i did my undergraduate uh, also because it was things i was choosing to look into things i was interested in and yeah. and things that knew would bode me well for the future. Uh -huh. What does a day-to-day, -day, like what does your day-to-day -day life now look like <coughs> as kind of a curate, you know, ordained into the Church of England as like someone in their mid-20s? Yeah. Do you think it's different to people who are older? Do you feel like you have to do certain jobs or do you kind of, you know, uh, say like a day-to-day -day rhythm that's kind of similar across? Yeah, I think, I think it is fairly similar. Um, so every day the staff team at St Margaret's we meet together and pray and worship and then kind of start our day from there um, and so because we're in kind of a new church that are establishing ourselves and fitting into the patterns of 
church life um, is is still a bit varied, but mm-hmm. in terms of day to day, there's there's meetings and service planning things to do, but also meeting members of the community, um, doing things like baptism visits and uh, meeting with people to talk about uh, their funeral. That's wow. not something I've done myself yet, but okay. uh, is definitely something I will be doing. Um, so day to day, I think once once you find you're into it, there's not much different from someone who might be older. Um, mm. There's there's definitely conversations that happen, particularly with people of older generations who go, "Oh, you're a bit young, aren't you?" Mm-hmm. But but actually, if you carry yourself um, with the authority that God's given you, then people respect that yeah. and hear that so yeah what encouragement would you give maybe other people our age you know in their 20s and 30s who are thinking about exploring ordination Mm. i'd say absolutely push the door uh because the reality is uh the church has done a not so great job of engaging with people our age over the years and and actually what it's going to need to reach a new generation is people who understand the next generation. And Yeah, that's really good. And we as people who are kind of coming out the back end of millennials and into Gen Z have a far better chance of being able to come alongside young people and people in their 20s and 30s who are kind of lost and looking for a home in a community. Um, I think if you have a sense that God's calling you into church leadership then don't be afraid to explore that um, test that with people who you trust and people who the church trusts but absolutely don't fall into the lie of thinking that because you're young you're not called because the chances are you are it needs someone like you to step into the to step into what's um, such an enormous field of mission yeah that's so good man you talked about how it was someone that when you were 17 prompt you and asked you about going into ordination um and that kind of started the whole thing of you exploring into it um do you so obviously um this but like this guy or girl um saw something, a, a, a specific skill that you had and kind mm. of just pointed it out in you. Um, do you kind of see that as um, like to bring up, kind of encourage young people to look into um, going into ministry? Do you think that uh, churches are doing that or um, or people are around like friends in the kind of Christian world mm. um, are actually got that lens of looking out and um if someone isn't necessarily aware of those skills to say um have you looked into this have you thought about um going into ministry yeah so the the church of england does kind of have a young vocation scheme they call it which is kind of people under 18 thinking about what's next kind of as you do when you're approaching 18 anyway exploring whether calling to church leadership is in amongst that vocation is part of what the church England does but i think on the ground um it's a real mixture some churches 
probably aren't looking with the lens of releasing potential young people into leadership. But I know that lots of churches are, I've been part of churches where people take a punt on young people and allow them to make risks, to take risks and make mistakes and kind of having 15, 16 year olds preaching in front of hundreds of people at church and, yeah. and leading worship and, and things like that. And actually it, it requires a generation and I think it requires our generation in our 20s and 30s to be taking a risk on teenagers and young people mm. at, their, at this age mm. that encourage them to then grow into their calling uh, going forward. But um, yeah, so I, I think I think there are places where there there is that look looking to raise up young leaders. But I think we could be doing loads more as well. Thank you, James. Um, so we're just going to open up the discussion uh, now, and yeah, just um, like I was saying before, um, I had um, just a look into just the stats to just look at. Um, Church of England, that is one thing they're good at, is putting stats up online. <laughs> so, Love a spreadsheet. I do. Um, but there has been, since 2013 up to 2017, of just, um, you can see that there is a, um, a really slight shift, but there has been an increase of um, under 25, but also under 30s, um, mm. going forward for ordination, which is great to see. Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, it'd be um, great to see that increase more so over the years. But um, I kind of, yeah, I guess through the lens of social media or other forms, um, do we think that uh, becoming a pastor um, or becoming leaders of a church, that millennials are starting to see that as a bit more of like a career that they're aspiring to? Like, do we kind of, is it kind of viewed a bit more glamorous in the light of how um, there's a lot of millennials that are leading churches that are doing mm. really well? Um, yeah, but yeah. yeah, do do obviously there will be lots of different reasons why that is it yeah. an increase. But I think I think yeah. I think social media is a really interesting one when it comes to churches these days because I think a lot of churches are still trying to work out what is our voice on social media, like what do we share, and I think. A lot of the time, um, church leaders who are our age who put stuff up online, it can look like they're glamorising their jobs when actually they're just showing what they're doing in their day-to-day -day life. And I think it's actually resulted in like jobs like James has, like being ordained <coughs> in the Church of England or leading, you know, whatever, the Church Pentecostal, Methodist, Baptist, Catholic. Like being part of those churches is more accessible because people can see what the day-to-day -day life of someone yeah like is whereas before like if you'd asked me when i was growing up say when i was 14 or 15 what does a vicar do the only reason that i would have an answer is because my dad was a vicar most of my mates whenever they would like come around to our house and meet my dad for the first time were so shocked because <laughs> the image you see of a vicar is like the 60 year old who smokes a pipe and like reads books in the big leather sofa that's shown over like all of tv and yeah. like robes up on a sunday and you yeah, don't really know yeah. what they do during the week. Whereas this is actually shown like the people behind the ministry. It's shown more of kind of what they do, you know, Monday to Friday. And it's actually, I think, helped it become more personal. 
I think a lot of the yeah. people saw kind of vicars as like a group of people or like, you know, then those mm. people over there, the ordained people. Whereas now it's like, okay, so actually like people becoming vicars who are our age, they're still doing like very normal stuff during the week, like getting involved in their local communities, running mm. the food bank or, you know, doing some of the stuff that James talked about earlier. But because we can see it, we actually can understand that more. I don't yeah. know what you think about that, James. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it also, what I found it massively helps with is with people who are my friends who don't go to church and don't really have any frame of reference for what a vicar might do. It, I think for them, it's as much about obviously keeping up with my life and, and what's going on in my life and my job. But um, I'm really conscious that it is also an opportunity to be a witness and show that uh, just because I'm a vicar doesn't mean I don't uh, enjoy the same hobbies that I used to enjoy before I became a vicar and all of that stuff. It's, yeah, it's like you say, it's sort of normalising and, and bringing the reality of what it does mean to be a church leader, but also to still be a person and... Mm and have still have a personality and and yeah. other interests besides and also church. i think like i mean i'm not a millennial church leader myself but i think as someone who worked for church for years like you see other people who are in similar roles as you across the uk because of social media whereas before yeah. social media you know there could be someone else who was a worship pastor or you know a youth pastor or even a curate or a vicar in, mm. I don't know, let's say Newcastle, who I would never know what they were doing during the week yeah. because I'm living in London. But now there's almost that sense of community online where we can become encouraged yeah. by similar things that people were doing. And so it's almost like building up that network of people by saying, oh, you do that too. That's really neat. I'm going to follow you, see like what you're doing, what ideas we can steal for our church. So yeah, yeah. social media is such a good tool if utilised well, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Obviously, there's probably quite a lot of different, when we think of millennials leading a church, there's probably a few minds, uh, or a few names that come to mind. Um, a lot of mine actually are from the States. <laughs> but um, do you think that um, they've obviously had to like cave the way, like you were saying earlier, James, like just um, knowing their calling and to really stick with that? Um, and then mm. they've been able to start, like, you talked about grafting your night service, um, so you've probably changed it up a bit. There's some churches that we hear about that are just so, they're just doing such different stuff. They're doing really creative things and they're reaching out millennials really well because they're being led by um, a creative leader. Um, so, yeah, I guess um, this is kind of probably opened up more so if we have more millennial leaders um, mm. do you think it's opened up the way that to just kind of push boundaries of how we do church because we'll have like a younger perspective on it or do you think there's we also need like to make sure they're, they're with a kind of wiser mm. um <laughs> to kind of bring it back when we go too far <laughs> yeah no i think you're right i think um yeah, having millennial church leaders does bring a, a fresh energy. And, and I know that's what lots of people who I've met since being ordained have said, that it's so amazing to see 
young people who bring energy and life to, into the job. But at the same time, I would dread to think the state the church would be in if there weren't the wise people yeah. who've been in the job for 20, 30, 100%. 40 years and have served the church faithfully and, and know what works. And yeah, and yeah so I'm, I'm full of thanks for the people <laughs> who are on, alongside me who can uh, yeah show me the ropes and and pass on their experiences of what's worked and what hasn't but also people who are so um, selfless and humble mm. and willing to admit that sometimes the ideas that they've been using need freshening and need yeah. new life back into them yeah. so I think yeah the real balance is what's needed yeah and I think like we work you know Ness and myself work for new wine in the marketing department and we always talk about when we are aiming specific campaigns at specific demographics about how tone of voice is so important and how we need people within those demographics helping us to you know engage that tone of voice so that we can reach them i think it's the same with you know any mm. church in the uk if you want to reach millennials then you have to have millennials leaving it mm. yeah i think James, I think what you said was so spot on. I think the wisdom of those people who have done this for years is what will be so important for us going forward. Even when people who work for churches now have retired, it would be amazing to see them in kind of almost consultant roles of passing yeah. the wisdom that they have learned through being yeah. in this job for, you know, as you said, 20 or 30 years. But also being able to put the gospel in a tone of voice that is relatable and understandable to people yeah. today is what will bring people back to church in the UK because Absolutely. I think that is what we have lost as a church we have lost our tone of voice we have lost the way of making the gospel communicate in a way that is understandable to people mm. and that's what excites me when I see you know people like James going through the ordination process and countless others is I see this is brilliant because it means people our age are going to be represented by people our age and there's going to be a gospel that is represented by people our age so i think it's a really exciting time for the church in england as well as the church of england <laughs> absolutely and other places as well and outside england <laughs> <laughs> the church outside england <laughs> so just to summarize uh james what would be your three top tips for if you're thinking about going into church ministry my three top tips would be uh, pray, pray on your own, pray with other people, get friends alongside you who um, will help you to, to discern whether it's what, what God's calling you to do. Uh, the second thing I'd say is talk to your vicar, talk to your church leader. Um, yeah, talk to someone who you trust within church leadership who will um, give you the wise counsel you need before figuring out what's next um and also be bold be really um accepting and uh, unashamed of what god's called you to do mm. and run with it and don't uh allow people to put you down because you're young as it says in uh, paul's letter to timothy doesn't it, it says, yeah. don't let put you down because you're young and i think that's so true and so true in this case where we need younger people to come forward and be part of shaping the future of the church. So be bold. Brilliant. Yeah, amazing. Thanks so much. No worries. 
What you looking at? Sweet. Well, we're now gonna go into our regular feature, What You Looking At? And we're gonna kick straight off with Vanessa. Oh, me first. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just, yeah, I have to obviously talk about the Bake Off. That, that's <laughs> been like my priority all week. Even. Um, we May had... contain spoilers. <laughs> if you haven't watched it, yes, don't I listen w- to this yeah. next. Turn off now. <laughs> James, James, I hope you have watched it or. Oh, so I watched it last night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Now I'm outnumbered. I've got to bring it, you know, bring in the Bake Off. <laughs> But that was actually one thing that they talked... I was reading up about the Bake Off final, and this is a massive spoiler, but uh, Raoul won it, a gentleman. Boo! Um, justice for Kim Joy. And, uh, yeah, and there were just a lot of things I've been like... Because he was obviously a scientist, um, and he was quite, you know, nerdy and geeky, but still lovable. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, there was a lot of articles that were just talking about how like men can bake and science, <clears throat> like scientists can get into baking and um, but go. yeah, seven point five million viewers tuned in. Wow. And I was lot. definitely That's one people. of them. It's almost as many people who listen to our podcast. Almost, we're all <laughs> tough competition. Um, but yeah, no, I it was a good episode. Although I was written for Ruby, I was a fan of Ruby. Um, but I kind of mm. thought the showstopper wasn't uh, very showstopping. It was probably more, it was all about the taste, and we didn't obviously taste it. Yeah. So it wasn't mm. pleasing to the eye, which I was a bit disappointed with. Still waiting for Taste TV to really. Um, <laughs> Next thing. Yeah. Um, come, come 4D, 4G experience, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Pick it out of the TV and eat it. <laughs> That's the dimensions I'm talking about, guys. <laughs> But I am going to miss it. It was like my relaxing, would sit up with my cup of tea, mm. enjoy the bake-off, but yeah. it hasn't inspired me to bake much. So, <laughs> really Well, the bake-off, just like cake, if you have too much of it, you get sickly, you become full, you start to, you know, I would never not feel, feel like too I'd great. Too so maybe, but that's only because you watch it. That's because you watch it once a year, every year that's for this true. period. No, I've just spent like the last couple of months with me and my fiance have watched all the reruns of the old Bake Off oh, on wow. oh man we've absolutely demolished it I mean so now, that's impressive but it has yeah. changed it's like it's a bit more dramatised these days like I just yeah. want to call back to BBC yeah you go watching series one is so weird yeah it's like really grainy and embarrassing and cringy <laughs> Thank goodness it's what it is today. And that's just the cakes. (laughs) 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 All right, let's move on from the Bake Off. James, what have you been reading this week? Please do share. Well, I have been reading a book called Quiet by Suzanne Cain. Um, It's a book that the sort of the little strap line is the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. Mm. Kind of. As someone who is relatively introverted and in leadership, I've often felt the jolt of what she calls the extrovert ideal, which kind of came about in the 50s and 60s with this idea that to be a good leader and to be kind of well-respected in your community, you needed to have these sorts of characteristics which we would associate with extroverts. So Mm. 
I've been reading about that and how she rallies against it. And she makes the point that uh, without introverts in the world, we wouldn't have things like the theory of gravity and relativity. She reckons Newton and Einstein, amongst many other significant leaders in the world, were actually introverted. Um, so, yeah, that's been an interesting read, dipping in and out of it this week. Nice. Who wrote that? She's called Susan Kane. Very nice. As always, we will put the links below the podcast if you're interested in any of the stuff we're sharing. Click below. I'm going to share about my boy Ollie Fox has his second single, nearly said first, that would have been a lie. It's his second single. I did love the first one, honest Ollie. Um, It's called The Worrying. It's out now. It was released on the 1st of November, so depending on where you're listening, when you're listening to this... It might have been out a few days already or it might just be hot off the press. So um, get that in your ears. That is going to be guaranteed your favourite song of November. So give that a listen. We'll spin a bit of that now after I finish talking. But yeah, enjoy. The worst I did, the best mistake, coming to me. Cause my mind is running wild, I need something, something to stop the worrying. Well, thanks so much for tuning in uh, to join us for our last of season one. Um, but we are more than excited to start planning season two. So, yeah, keep following us on Instagram at Looking Busy Pod. We'll still be active on there trying to get um, recommendations and so forth. Content, content, content. Yep. And uh, feel free to, yeah, send us over reviews, opinions, recommendations, all anything. We'll, we'll read those emails. Yeah. Um, we've got the time. We got time, guys. <laughs> we got time. We can mute. Um, uh, but yeah, just catch us on looking busy at new-wine.org and we will pick it up. Mm. And thank you to James for tuning in and giving us his time. No worries, guys. Yeah, cheers, big man. Yeah, you gave us some really good um, words and wisdom and advice. So really appreciate that. So thanks, mm. James. Thanks, guys. And yeah, yeah get well soon, Wes. we miss you (laughs) but uh, for the rest of you so tune in to season 2 get excited see you soon see ya